Hello, I'm Zach Robichaud. And I'm Jackie Mignot. You're listening to The Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We are coming to you from self-isolation, Zooming with people to talk about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners. And we are on a quest to have a conversation around the central Christian belief that God became flesh. The challenge of reconciliation makes settlers uh, really anxious, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's because it's profoundly uncertain. Mm -hmm. We want to put it into a box and define it and make it easy for ourselves to understand. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. in this episode, Zach and I talked to Mike Hogaterp of um, the CRCNA's Justice and Advocacy Ministry. So what Mike does is he um, he advocates uh, for justice issues to our um, elected leaders, and then also helps educate the churches on what the what justice initiatives um, this ministry is doing in our denomination and how they can best help. Uh, so. We wanted to talk to Mike uh, because he's just got a really interesting view on what does it mean to um, pursue an embodied faith in this way? What does it mean that we do justice? Because justice in the end is taking seriously the bodies and lives of real people around us and helping to make them um, whole. Whole. Yeah, Yeah, that's the right way to say it. Um, And this conversation is really Beautiful, like all our conversations, ranges all over the place. Um, but we land in some pretty interesting spaces. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I very challenging. Again, mm. they're all challenging. Uh, <laughs> the, the idea of guests comes out, and that's not something mm. that's come out before. Um, mm. Just being a guest and what it means to live as a guest or with that mentality uh, and physicality. Mm. Um yeah, and he drops a whole bunch of names of theologians and thinkers and activists um, that now I just want to go and buy all their books, uh, yeah, go and meet yeah. them. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of richness here, mm-hmm. and uh, I hope everyone enjoys listening to it as much as we had talking. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, Mike Hogater, and I direct the Christian Reform Center for Public Dialogue, which is a uh, justice uh, and advocacy ministry of the Christian Reform Churches in Canada. Uh, we work out of Algonquin Territory uh, here in Ottawa, uh, and our work uh, involves uh, encouraging faithful citizenship uh, amongst uh, uh, Canadian citizens uh, who are Christians. Um, uh, our work involves a lot of uh, ecumenical and civil society collaboration, uh, and it involves uh, a lot of work um, interacting with our parliamentarians and and decision makers in Canada. Uh, We uh, take the the call to Romans 13 to our leaders very seriously. Uh, They're God's servants to do us good. And uh, uh, this time and in every time, that's an incredibly challenging task. Uh, that demands uh, respectful engagement. Uh, it involves uh, constructive engagement, so good ideas, and not just uh, some, you know, simple sniping from the sidelines. It, it means thinking deeply about what public good is and what public justice is, and then bringing those concerns in a dialogical way into public conversation. Uh, so we call ourselves Public Dialogue, uh, the Center for Public Dialogue, because we really believe deeply in that, that, that interchange that's respectful, that's reciprocal. And that's, um, yeah, it's, it's not, uh, it's not us preaching. It's, it's us uh, discerning and listening uh, together in partnership uh, along with, uh, you know, quite a wide range of relationships that we come into that, that public dialogue with. So. Mm. You mentioned, you used the word respectful a couple times. Why, why is respectful so important? Like what, what use does it have? Is it because it, is it efficient <laughs> or because efficient is a word that, I mean, I use it as a dirty word now. 
I may not have in my past, but respectful lends itself to a very long process as opposed to a short one. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Zach, I, I think that justice is in and of itself uh, almost always a long journey. Um, the the examples of, of dramatic change that we see um, in, throughout history, some of the, the most recent examples are the fall of the Berlin Wall, um, the, the fall of apartheid, um, civil rights in the U.S. Um, all of those things uh, were part of, uh, well, there was a moment of dramatic change, the release of Nelson Mandela from, from Robben Island, for instance. Um, all of those moments uh, that we see in, in media headlines and in history books are the product of, of a long trajectory of uh, the faithful actions of many people. Uh, and those faithful actions include a, a long series of failures. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but the point is, why do we uh, enter into uh, respectful dialogue? Uh, respect is, is an important posture because I, I think often in, in our political culture, uh, where polarization is, is common, there's a, there's a temptation to get shrill and, and yell and assume that the louder you get, the, the, more, uh, the more apt you are to be uh, received uh, in, in the public mind. Um, I think uh, politically speaking, uh, for uh, small faith groups, uh, that, that that kind of attitude just doesn't work. It's not pragmatic. It's not efficient <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so coming with a, with a recognition that we, we have a perspective that's one among many, uh, uh, that uh, is is valuable to the process, uh, and projecting you know a real constructive attitude is a way to contribute to that long journey of political change. It's it's our mm. faithful little bit. Um, mm. Early early on in this in this uh, this journey of, of of doing this work, uh, I had the privilege of uh, sitting with a, a mentor who had, who had been at this kind of work from a faith perspective for forty years. And he said to me, you know, Mike, you, you should uh, diminish your expectations and, and be modest um, in, in, in the way you, you, you think you're going to make a contribution to change. He said, look, I've been at this a long time. And I've, I've probably contributed to the, the shift and change of about three pieces of legislation in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty remarkable thing to say. Um, 40 years, three pieces of legislation, uh, modest for sure. Uh, he was being excessively modest. Uh, but the point is, mm-hmm. uh, change happens through the faithful actions of us that are built on the faithful actions of people previous to us. And those things are completed by the faithful actions of others uh, and by the creator's perfecting of them. Uh, mm. I, I think that's, that's the trajectory of change throughout history. Mm. Um, so modesty is really important posture. I, um, so my question, as I'm listening to you, even talking this first little bit is, um, kind of, you've, you've mentioned faithful citizenship. So, and faithful in a, in a few different ways. So I'm wondering if we could maybe kind of just, if for, from your point of view, um, bring this idea of what it means to be faithful. What are we being faithful to? Are we being, um, and maybe theologically, could we think in those ways? Um, Because I think, and I think why I want to do this importantly is uh, there is a lot of talk about justice being um, right now. Like I I said something about justice in a conversation with a few other people and, and they reacted like, Oh, Oh, don't be like one of those social justice people. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And so there's this sense of justice being um, on the crudely kind of partisan if you're advocating for certain things. So I kind of want to get underneath that and see, is there something um, from your point of view, what is actually being, what are we being faithful to when we're being advocating for justice um, in our faith as as Christians, as followers of Jesus? um, How do you see 
those connections. Um. Oh, that's a that's a rich question, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Part um, eight hundred. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, maybe, maybe I'll start this way. I, I think there are um, varying perspectives and approaches to what it is to be a, a prophetic public witness, mm. um, and that's maybe pointing at you know some of the differences you see in, in approach. Um, I think there's there's a time for everything uh, in justice work, um, and there's a time to be shrill, um, mm. and there's a time to be pragmatic and crafty. Mm. Um, and I think it's it's really important for uh, for uh, people of faith involved in justice work and concerned about it to to really be careful and thoughtful about discerning the spirit of the times and the moment. Right. Mm. Um, um, so. Uh, in a in a multi-faith pluralistic context like we're in right now, um, it is certainly not the place of the church to go into Parliament and say, "Thus saith the Lord." Uh, completely, <laughs> right. completely inappropriate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it is the place of the church to go in and say, "Okay, uh, here's a here's a perspective on a on a, a given issue from from a faith community." And we really encourage you to consider uh, the points of view of other faith communities and other uh, civil society communities, uh, other ethical communities, as mm -hmm. you evaluate, um, uh, you know, the process of decision making. Mm -hmm. So how does faithfulness work into that? Um, okay, I started off talking about uh, a commitment to public good. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Um, and maybe that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the churches um, are, are committed to liturgy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and this uh, this comes out of Nick Wolterstorff's work. Okay. Uh, liturgy is uh, fundamentally public service. So, uh, Jackie, the work you do on a Sunday morning, um, the work you do on campus yeah. is fundamentally a public service. Okay. Uh, the work... Of, of the garbage guy who just drove past my, my, my door here hmm. is public service. Right. Um, and we're being faithful in, in justice work. We're seeking uh, to, to have a, a positive public impact that is public service. It's for the good of all people. Um, and as Christians, that that's a, it's, it's critical to evaluate that work saying, okay, look, my advocacy is not just about the good of, of my little Christian circle. Mm -hmm. It's a it's about the good of of my uh, my neighbors. Uh, it's about right. the good of of neighbors uh, in this region, in the country, in the hinterlands of this country, and and indeed in, in and around the world. Right. right. Um, an expansive sense of of public good for our neighbors. Mm -hmm. So, to what end though? For so. If we want the public good, I, I just like, so why, why is the public good important? It, mm -hmm. Is it important to God? Um, has it always been important to the church? Mm -hmm. Is it, um, yeah, I, I want to know the why. Right. Mm. That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, if I was to answer it from a, you know, esoteric political theory point of view, <laughs> uh, which is often my knee jerk. Um, mm -hmm. I, I would probably say, well, I, I think our our political culture uh, is is infected with with a virus of individualism mm. that 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 tends to uh, make us think of ourselves first. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that that's that's a, a virus that damages uh, social cohesion. Mm -hmm. And uh, our ability to care for uh, our neighbors and ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. When we don't have a healthy sense of mutuality, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I think I think we're uh, we're really failing our neighbors and ourselves at the same time. Um, if you want to look at that theologically, on the other hand, well, I don't think it's the other hand. I think it's just the mm -hmm. flip side of the same coin. Um, yeah, it's it's a matter of recognizing that. Um, 
uh, health um, and and vitality uh, and shalom mm-hmm. are are a product of uh, of a shared and collective experience, not the uh, not the the subsumption of of uh, individual experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I think we we need to we need to be together, um, and I, I think this this pandemic is beginning to teach us a bit of that. You know, that, yeah. that we are not we are not at all self reliant. Mm-hmm. Um, think think of the heroics that are happening in grocery stores around this country right now. Right, mm-hmm. people who many of us just kind of disdain. Right, mm-hmm. these, these people are keeping us alive. Right, yeah, um, at minimum wage. Good lord, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Honoring, you know, the fact that we're a community and, and carrying each other in that way is is, is super super important. Mm-hmm. So this this situation is a teacher about what mutuality means. Right? I think it expresses well that interdependence that that we have. Good and, word, really good word. You know, the truck drivers and you know the delivery workers and um, yeah. So what does it mean then for us to value all of those others in our community mm-hmm. that, you know, for a long time, and uh, now we're just, just being highlighted otherwise, but for a long time, they are down on this lower strata of importance and that maybe, you know, these are places for the immigrant or the high school student or what does it mean to value them? Uh, a little bit more than just recognizing, oh, I need this person to eat breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my my dear friends and mentors is is Terry LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. Um, so Terry's a, a Mi'kmaq Acadian uh, Christian theologian. Uh, he directs uh, the North American Institute of Indigenous Theological Studies, uh, NATES, it's called, uh, an Indigenous Learning Community, where I happen to be taking up a PhD, basically. So it's a, it's a grad school uh, in theology. Um, that's, uh, you know, actually, we're, we're really cool because we've been meeting through Zoom for years. <laughs> <laughs> you already know how to do it. <laughs> so, so we're teaching everybody how to use yeah. it. <laughs> um, Anyhow, uh, the, the, the point of this, Terry uh, taught me many years ago uh, that there is a propensity uh, amongst us as, as Christian people to uh, articulate theological principles uh, and then to struggle to live them. Mm. Um, so we, uh, we say noble things, but we don't really do them. We don't um, put flesh on it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So... You know, I, I think as as Reformed Christians, uh, that's that's the the, the, tr- the crew I come from. We love to say that uh, you know all of life is religion. We love to say that you know uh, everyone is created in the image of God, uh, but yet we're uh, assimilated in a in a culture uh, that uh, devalues um, uh, the spirituality of. Uh, of the other it devalues, yeah, the spiritual reality of, of you know, uh, the, the common good of driving a truck or, you know, mm. um, serving, a, serving in a grocery store. Um, if all of life is sacred, uh, if all of us are image bearers of God, um, I think there needs to be a much deeper sense of mutual respect and affection and uh, a dropping of attitudes of superiority. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, one of those attitudes of superiority, again, in, in, in my little tribe here, is, is the whole idea that uh, academics and brainy people mm-hmm. are smarter and more important uh, than the rest of the world. Um, you know what, right now, <laughs> my, my academic work is not feeding anyone, right? Right. Right. Um, and, and that's that's a point of uh, incredible uh, humility uh, that we, mm. we really, really need to recognize. Right. right. Uh, it's a shift in power in a sense, right? We yeah. kind of recognize that this power we hold, we may not have a right to, and we certainly don't have a right to wield it yeah. um, over yeah. those with 
perceived less power or, yeah. yeah. And that, that attitude, you know, really does need to get deeply into analysis about, about justice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the food source for the, almost mm-hmm. the entirety of the United States, um, is, uh, migrant workers often undocumented, right. uh, in, in, uh, in California, Arizona, and New Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a third of the, third of the food supply, uh, comes, comes out of that region. Right. Uh, including, uh, you know, a lot of the fresh vegetables Canadians eat in, in, yeah. in the wintertime. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, folks like that who aren't uh, protected by health insurance uh, in a COVID emergency, um, our failure to protect them right now uh, basically means our food supply is threatened. Right. Um, right. So uh, we need to be thinking a lot more deeply about uh, international trade policy, labor rights, uh, and migration rights in a context mm. like that. And that's just international policy, right? right. Mm-hmm. National policy about uh, migrant labor and, and protection and all of that sort of stuff. It's all part of this. Right. right. Um, and a respectful engagement in those things is, uh, mm-hmm. is a, a critical side of uh, understanding and discerning um, how to mm. deal with it. It strikes me that justice work done from a position of faith, like, is really um, rooted in saying, like, everything is connected. And almost like an ecological root. Like, we are all connected. The public good comes from us making sure that whole is is healthy and good and working well together. Um that, like you said, something about health and vitality earlier, that seems to me the public good is the health and vitality of all the parts, so all the parts grow well. And then, yeah, theologically, that leads into we are created in the image of God and then um, and redeemed by the fastening of, of God to our, our created life, right? Um, I find that so... I think that's why I'm drawn to justice work because uh, I'm not an I'm not an activist uh, it's not how I function in the world but I'm I'm really drawn to speaking about it because of this lens of, of this has everything to do with with what we believe as people who have been somehow connect like touched by God in in our hearts somehow connected um, in our family traditions has everything to do with it in to me I don't know if, for you and where that comes from. I don't know if this is actually a, a good question, but could you maybe speak to how you got into this work, Mike? I actually don't know. Has this always been justice and advocacy work and, and working deeply within a Christian tradition for the public good? How did you come to this place? Uh, it's, it's not a very dramatic story, <laughs> but it, it it's... Uh... I actually do it because of my mom and dad. Hmm. Um, so I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. Um, lived in parsonages uh, around Canada hmm. for the first 18 years of my life. Um, and my mom and dad uh, were, yeah, uh, instrumental in my life just in terms of really valuing uh, history, really valuing uh, an understanding of our place in the world. Um, so there was this unspoken message, I suppose, that, that I took and received from, from them, um, that, you know, our life in the, in the confines of, uh, of a church campus, um, in the Christian schools, uh, was, was much wider mm. than, than just those, those little places. Mm-hmm. Um, the relevance of the gospel had to do with, uh, the struggling and suffering of the world. Uh, mm. I learned that, uh, by being taught almost by osmosis about the history of the Holocaust through my dad, uh, Mm. his interest in that stuff. And also in my mom and dad's almost insistence uh, that the six o'clock news and Mm. understanding the world was a sacred hour. uh, Something you, you, you paid attention to as, as a matter of course. Right. Mm. So that just sort of planted in me a seed that, uh, you know, what the gospel matters uh to the brokenness of the world right Uh, 
so, you know, for that reason, you know, I had this um, just sort of innate sense that uh, the pursuit of justice was a sacred task. Right. So, so that motivated study, um, a lot of volunteer stuff, and then event, eventually put me in this chair actually 18 years ago today. Which oh, great. no way. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I wanted to pick up a little bit on this um, idea that a lot of what, uh, Jackie, you mentioned the word healthy. And then, Mike, you're talking about, you know, things that you would see on the news or you know, these parts of history that we may not always um, relate to today. But if we look at, at things that we've perceived to be healthy, like our industry sector or our high standard of living, and at the same time, if we recognize that we have all these kind of very um, rotten parts of society at the same time, are, are we being disingenuous about actually calling those things healthy when they're artificial or they are built on foundations of injustice? Um, you know, when we look at even the U.S. economy, you know, we look at, you know, 150 years ago, slavery ended-ish, um, you know, all of this free labor, like that built an empire on, uh, on, on something deeply unjust. Um, and so within Canada, what does it mean to look now and, and hold this prosperity that we have and at the same time look at this injustice that is being borne out and lived out and, you know, even recently with blockades and protests um, and we of the affluent, we look at that and we're like, why? How, how can this be? So... Uh, can you can you touch on that a little bit about what it means to hold those two things at the same time and mm -hmm. maybe recognizing things a little bit differently? Yep. Um, my son introduced me to uh, a really uh, important cultural moment a few weeks back. Um, the the song uh, by the Avid Brothers called "We Americans." Have you heard mm -hmm. it? I like uh, the Avet brother. It might be on one of the albums I don't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a newer one, but the, the song We Americans uh, includes uh, sort of a, a look at the foundations of America right. uh, by, pro by Proxy Canada. And one of the lines is, uh, we've built uh, a society on stolen land and stolen people. Okay. Mm. So, well, that's that's the, the prelude. Uh, mm -hmm. So back to your question, Zach. Um, the prophets uh, in the scriptures uh, reminded us very often that, that when there's uh, injustice and poverty in the land, uh, our worship is meaningless. Hmm. Um, and I take that very seriously. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the persisting presence of, of uh, poverty and injustice uh, in, in many communities, and, and particularly uh, uh, communities of color and indigenous communities, is indicative of, uh, of the, the, the presence of idolatry uh, and, uh, and, you know, deeply imperfect worship. Uh, mm. um, so um, corporate sin uh, is something that, that we in, in, in sort of an individualist culture don't often think about. Right. Um, right. Many folks in Canada will will say uh, about you know the, the reality of, of indigenous land position or residential schools. Oh, that happened a hundred years ago. What does it have to do with me? I've literally heard that even in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't sign the treaty. I didn't. Uh, yeah. yeah. Sign the order. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, to that, I'd, I'd simply say, um, uh, well, you know what? You didn't sign it, but you're, you're part of the legacy. Uh, mm -hmm. You benefit from it. Um, one, of the, one of the things I, I often trot out uh, at the end of a blanket exercise is, uh, is this um, set of phrases from the author Kent Nurburn. Uh, Nurburn's a, a Lutheran guy, I think, um, out of Minnesota uh, who 
who had uh, relationships with uh, Dakota and Lakota people up, up in that area. Um, and this is sort of a docu-novel series called uh, the Night of Wolf Murdoch series. And it chronicles his relationship with uh, a Lakota elder by the name of Dan. And at one point in the book called The Wolf at Twilight, uh, they're talking about Dan's family's experience with residential school. And uh, Dan says to Kent something like this. This is almost a quote. Um, uh, okay. Uh, I'm not saying you did any of this or even that your grandparents did any of it. I'm saying it happened and it happened on your people's watch. It doesn't matter that you're way downstream from the actual events. You're still drinking the water. Mm. So that's the end of the quote. But basically that says, look, the corporate sins of our past have an impact. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those impacts are obvious in the realities of intergenerational trauma um, mm-hmm. in, uh, in indigenous communities today. Um, the, the profound social dislocation, um, the, structured systemic racism that we see in things like the Indian Act mm. um, and the legacy that that presents just in, term, in terms of, um, you know, uh, social and economic results in the long term. Um, those are corporate sins and those those are injustices that, you know, and we fail to uh, name them and act uh, to, to remediate them. Um, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're failing as a society. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when we look at that, you know, through the lens of the prophets, uh, I think that's also you know, something that drives to us uh, uh, a deeper understanding of the spiritual import of, of that justice work. Right? This, this, mm-hmm. is about, this is about truth. Uh, this is about the integrity of, of nation and, and the integrity of worship itself. Uh, that's... That, you said the spiritual import, but I mean, there's, there's a huge, huge, massive and almost, you know, I would say 98% physical import too. Yeah. I mean, I, I live in downtown Calgary and I see the effects of residential schools every day. Yeah. When I walk across reconciliation bridge over the bow river. Um, and it's, I mean, the physical reality of the, um, the corporate sin uh, has physical implications that you know carry on today. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the connection between the spiritual and the physical? Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Because we we often spiritualize sin uh, just as you know breaking a law or something like that. It's it's something more esoteric, and but but they're actually very physical realities and so if we're talking about justice uh, there must be a physical side to that rather than just confessing oh i confess lord forgive me all right i'm good um okay Mm -hmm. now let's do it corporately great we (laughs) did it um the the physical side of the sin and the physical side of the um the healing or confession okay zach i'd say Keep that question in, in the forefront of your mind because I'm going to go in a few different directions here. <laughs> Sweet. Um, <laughs> directions. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I could talk a long time about this. Um, the first mm. thing I'd say is that um, uh, the indigenous scholars and elders that I've encountered, um, I've been blessed to encounter, um, always teach uh, what I'd call a, a deeply unified worldview, uh, one that doesn't separate the physical, the spiritual, or the political. Uh, they're all linked. Um, so when there's brokenness in, in one element, uh, there's brokenness in another. Uh, yeah. When there's health in, in one element, it, it brings health to another. Uh, so I, I think, you know, that's that's deeply resonant with uh, an articulated Reformed worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure, right? Yeah. Um, so this, this is where I want to talk a bit about uh, embodiment. Um, uh, decolonization scholarship talks a bit about, about not a bit, quite a bit about um, the way indigenous bodies uh, are uh, disrespected 
um, largely because it, it uh, it's, it's rooted in um, an anthropology that that denies their humanity, right? And when when uh, when humanity is denied, it's it's uh, much easier to justify uh, the abuse of a body, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, basically, they become disembodied shuttles of, uh, of 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 oppression for for the for the sake of of the superior um, body, which is which is the white person. Um, it's pretty dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I'm saying in all this, uh, tied back to the stuff about corporate sin, is um, you know we we can uh, say noble things from from a point of privilege. Uh, you know I'm a an affluent guy living in a in a you know a suburban neighborhood in, in Ottawa. Um, uh, I, I speak some things about the importance of reconciliation. Um, and I, I had a good cry at a number of uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission events, uh, for sure. Uh, and I was touched and moved. If those things don't uh, move from, you know, sort of my emotive feelings um, to a significant change in behavior, um, they're really superficial. Um, so, the the superficial spiritual premonition to say a reconciliation is important is an articulated idea. Um, if uh, that doesn't uh, translate into a profound new direction um, in in the way I interact with with indigenous neighbors, the way I interact politically, uh, the way I'm willing to actually have my world turned upside down for the sake of reconciliation. Uh, that is not an authentic spiritual expression. Um, yeah. an, an embodied expression is one that recognizes that reconciliation has profound costs. Um, and those costs are, are uh, deep uh, and they, they have uh, an incredible mutual benefit over the long term. Um, wow. Can, can you speak to those costs or is it too soon to talk about those costs? Because you've been through a process of, you know, attending the reconciliation um, uh, investigations or the, the testimonies, the hearings. Um, the hearings. Yep. Um, and you've been living this for, you know, you've been in that chair for 18 years uh, for someone who maybe doesn't have a, um, that kind of context, and then all of a sudden they get the, they get the bill. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! I mean, so part of part of the cost is sitting down and taking the time to do that. Um, and w- what else? Mm-hmm. Okay, you uh, you guys talked to Shannon yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most important things she's been able to teach me, she, she learned from one of her elders. Um, and that elder told her, and she, she tells us repeatedly, look, reconciliation is meaningless unless settlers have their hearts broken. Okay. Yeah. So I think the, the path to that, that breaking of hearts and, and, you know, sort of the long journey of change, um, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's many stages and defining it, I, I don't think is actually possible. But that that breaking of hearts, be, be, it, it comes out of uh, an intentional learning of, of history from a perspective that's not uh, from the point of view of the powerful, first of all. Mm. It's, it's listening uh, carefully to indigenous perspectives on history, on uh, ontology and being, uh, on... Uh, what justice looks like in a contemporary context. Um, so that that demands um, a process uh, that uh, Ojibwe academic Sean Wilson talks about, um, a process of respect, reciprocity, and relationality, right? Um, three R's, he calls them. Um, and that, the way I'd summar- summarize that is shut up and listen, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, be 
willing to, you know, go into a, a, a local cultural center and sit and listen, ask questions. Uh, you know what? You're also going to step in it and make mistakes. Um, uh, confess those mistakes with humility uh, and learn from them. And slowly and carefully, um, uh, maybe not so carefully, um, slowly, um, but intentionally, uh, build relationships with, with indigenous neighbors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, um, I, I tell you, you're, you're going to encounter um, these, what I often call Emmaus Road experiences, you know, mm-hmm. heart burning within you uh, right. kinds, of, kinds of moments where you encounter something true and beautiful and challenging just in a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. I've had, I mean, those, th- that's embodiment. Um, I've had experiences like that, you know, around sacred fires um, in, you know, uh, a conversation after a blanket exercise um, inside a sweat lodge, uh, those Mm -hmm. kinds of contexts. Um, uh, And I'm, you know, I recognize I'm pretty uniquely privileged that way to have those kinds of uh, experiences. Um, So, the heart, the heartbroken side is, you know, sort of the, the first stage. Um, I think the, the the next stage, and this is this is a long term thing, and there's a reason why the the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission look this is a this is a generational project because uh, it's hard work, mm-hmm. uh, and it's going to be searing and difficult. Um, and and here's why. Um, I'm right now in a in a class where uh, one of my mentors uh, confronted us, uh, those of us who are settlers in in the, in the class, and she said, um, "Is reconciliation even possible?" Hmm. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really hard question. Hmm. And the reason she asked that is because um, a lot of the scholarship around decolonization talks about you know sort of the the deep rootedness of, of uh, colonial power structures, um, mm. uh, the deep rootedness of those corporate sins that we've talked about, right? Um, well, and our and, dependence on that right now too. Like yeah. everything is built on this. Yeah, yeah. It's all built on this. So when I look at downtown Calgary, like whoa, yeah. uh, so you can't take that apart so easily. Yeah. Or you can't yeah. like the shift in wealth or the shift in power. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, please, yeah. please continue. So I think for, for Christians and, and the settlers in, in Canada, uh, that's, that journey is one of, uh, and, and I'm riffing off something Shannon said to me a few weeks ago um, it's it's a journey of lament, um, mm-hmm. of reparation, um, and hope. Okay, mm-hmm. um, probably in that order too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and lament uh, means uh, confession of of you know those corporate sins and uh, you know our own personal sins of racism. Um, uh, reparation means uh, atonement, um, and and you know more than symbolic, right? Right. Um, uh, and, you know, I think uh, authentic reparation um, basically means building uh, a new context of justice. Uh, so, Zach, your neighborhood would look different when, when that authentic reparation happens. Yeah. Now, I know reparation is always a, a controversial and misunderstood set of topics, and I'm only just beginning to scratch the surface of understanding of what it means. Mm. Um, every time you do an analysis of the value of land that's been uh, uh, dubiously divested uh, of indigenous people, uh, mm. the, the figures are staggering uh, in the in the trillions of dollars uh, yeah. in uh in, in yeah in communities and provinces what have you um, I think it's fair to say about ninety eight percent of the landmass of Canada uh, is uh, in varying degrees uh, not appropriately uh, treated mm. um, so that basically says uh, I'm on stolen land 
Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, the fact is we'll never pay the debt. Right. Um, that doesn't mean, um, that it's not important to, to try to, to make something right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and doing that is, uh, it's a journey of, of, uh, respect, relationality and mutuality again. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, which for many of us is, is such a huge challenge. Um, I, I lived in, in the Hamilton area for 20 years, uh, till about a decade ago. And in the first 17 years of, of our existence down there, I had never crossed the bridge uh, on Chiefs Wood Road from Highway 52 into uh, the Six Nations Reservation mm. because there was a cultural assumption there that you just didn't go there, mm. that it wasn't safe, right? There are invisible barriers like that everywhere, and I'm sure you guys have them in Calgary too, mm -hmm. right? Um, I know they're everywhere uh, in in in, the, in this country. We have to confront ourselves about those invisible barriers and this, the 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 cultural and systemic racism that they represent, mm -hmm. and begin the journey of relationality. And in that coming together, we begin to uh, have a, a deeper understanding of what it is to to be here, uh, not as you know settler hosts. But as guests, uh, mm. I think shifting from that arrogant assumption that we'd become the, the hosts and owners of this place and into a humble posture of being a guest is one sort of spiritual disposition to bring to this sort of thing. Okay, I've, I've rambled a long time. Oh. <laughs> no, no, that's good. <laughs> it's so, I, that's good. I think so much of what commonly um, is envisioned as reconciliation is, is people with, you know, the power and the resources saying, okay, well, you can come here like us and be like us-ish, but not like, there seems to be like, I'm just trying to think of like people who are well-intentioned, but maybe without this understanding of there has to, it has to go deeper than, well, they're welcome to come in as if we are the gatekeepers, <laughs> the settlers are the gatekeepers of, of, of this common life, um, as opposed to stepping down and, and, and joining each other somehow in making right. And I, to me, that's, is such a theological and such a, like a Christological thing, like this stepping down and joining. Um, Emptying yourself of authority to become a part of yeah. um, another world. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, and that pouring out of authority, like I can't see reconciliation looking well if, and I'll just put this scenario out there, let's say First Nations people uh, rise up in arms, uh, take a Western position and rise up in arms and take back what's theirs. Uh, that's not going to end well. Uh, that'll deepen divisions that will um, hurt uh, any future uh, attempts at reconciliation. So, you know, that's a scary possibility if we, if we look at that, or if we kind of follow some of the magnificent leaders that are out there that are trying to move forward in a peaceful way where we're saying, Hey, we're coming to the table. Can we sit down together and start in that first process of, just mutually trying to understand what happened and acknowledge these things and just at least start to allow our hearts to be broken. Um, I mean, that to me is an example of Christ where, you know, that's an invitation. Uh, it's a non-condemning. It's, it's just a simple invitation to, hey, come to the table. In this process, maybe you also will be willing to kind of pour out some of your authority and your um, hanging on to things that maybe aren't yours or maybe aren't important. Yeah. Um, one of the ways I like to think about this sort of theme um, is uh, is the table. 
Um, mm-hmm. Often in the church, uh, we, we, we talk about uh, making space at the table for the other, right? Um, yeah. And I think that that, that disposition has, has nobility attached to it, but I, I think it's dangerous. Um, mm. Because it assumes that we as the, the Western church have defined what the table is. Um, yeah. in, in, in our crowd, you know, that's one where there's, you know, theological precision and, you know, church order and, you know, all those wonderful things. Um, and, and we welcome people to, t- to the table as long as they play by our rules. Right. right. Right, right, right. Um, so it's not just laying down our authority; it's laying down our structures and yeah, our, yeah. our playbook. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. So I, I think, you know, if if reconciliation is to have integrity, it really means um, recognizing that the the northern, western European table is one that needs to be deconstructed, mm. uh, and one that uh, you know, if we're you know deeply interested in a diverse and unified body of Christ. It means recognizing that uh, we need to come together uh, with a whole range of communities. Uh, and I'd argue, uh, you know, particularly with land in mind in, in, in this part of the, the world, uh, that, mm. you know, one of the first postures of, of humility and, and conversation and mutuality begins with indigenous communities. Um, um, but very soon after, you know, with a with a much broader range of communities. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things we said in in the Doctrine of Discovery report um, years ago, uh, 2016, I guess it was, was basically, uh, yeah, that that whole table conversation. We we need we need a new table, uh, right. a completely mm-hmm. new table. Um, so uh, that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm meandering towards here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I think I've heard you say too. I mean, we, we like to say then, if we need a new table, that table is not ours, it's Christ's. And then that's the question of how do we then participate? What are the qualities that we need to have to be able to let that table be Christ's? Um, I think the listening mm-hmm. is a part of that. Um, yeah, that's this is a ton of questions. Um, we're going to be talking. Like, we're going to be talking to uh, Brad Jerzak in a few days, and he's got a book that he's just released uh, called In, and it's about the incarnation and inclusion. And I think we've interesting. we we have we have really left that inclusion piece out of our theology. Um, we've been very exclusionary, and yeah. so you know, what does that table look like uh, when we recognize? more humbly that we we have graciously been included and that also others have been or should be included and that we shouldn't be guarding Christ's table um yeah, yeah. so militantly almost yeah that's that's mm. that's where I've I've really been blessed by Willie Jennings work actually mm. his uh his talk about hospitality I think when you tie that to the table and communion, mm. you know, as an embodiment of the incarnation, really. Um, mm-hmm. uh, when when the Western Church forgets Christ's call to humility and hospitality, um, it assumes that it can take ownership of the table um, and sets the rules for a communion, right? Right. Um, uh, when we sort of drop that set of presumptions of of, of superiority um, and you know move towards a much more mutual uh, understanding of what it is uh, hospitable, what it is to be guests on the land, mm-hmm. um, that that uh, moves to um, hospitality and, and communion and community um, in a way that's much more mutual and healthy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you've, you've used the word guest a lot there, and I, I that that's a big shift in in thinking because even you know I worked as a youth pastor for a little while, and you know I work as a teacher where I I'm in charge, you know, and I'm inviting you to my space, and that's that's a big shift in 
how I think we, you know, we, we need to think about faith yeah. in that I am here with you and we're all on this journey and we're all at this table, hopefully at this, um, at, at the invitation of another yeah. uh, that is greater than us. And yeah. That that just shift in understanding as guest, either as a settler or as a person of faith, I, I think that's a, a really important distinction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I first heard that uh, that set of ideas about um, the guest uh, articulated by uh, a, a friend at uh, at Nate's. Uh, his name's Jim Sakira. He's a, a Hawaiian pastor in, in Portland, Oregon. Mm. And it really talks about the importance of adopting that posture of, of guest. Right. Um, and I mean, he did a beautiful uh, exegesis of, of those, those themes of, of the way uh, being a guest um, is a blessing uh, in the scripture. Mm. Uh, well, you, I think about like, I'm as you've been talking, I'm thinking about, is it Luke 10? The one where he's like, go out and, take nothing with you, stay if they welcome you, they don't welcome you. Like he's sending people out to his, his disciples out to talk about the kingdom, but be a guest is, is the posture he sends out people as what's now I'm like kind of mind blown a little bit. Like, Oh, has it always been the posture we were to have? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, because that even sh- shifts everything from, and how we embody this faith from being like a paternalistic, I know what's best for you. Come into this. I will be nice to you and I know what's best for you as opposed to um, this kind of wondering, wonderment of a guest of walking into a space and yeah. holding it loosely and holding it lightly and offering yourself and receiving the other. And that's amazing. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that is amazing. Wow. I mean, uh, <laughs> You know, Western worldviews um, are, are built on sort of an assumption, uh, and again, this comes out of my political theory training. Uh, mm. we, we've built a world around the assumption that we can master contingency, right? We can mm. do away with any chance, right? Christ sending those disciples out with no food and just their sandals and cloaks, he's basically saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, dive into a world where there's plenty of contingency and you don't know where your next meal's coming from and I'm going to care for you, right? Right. Um, when's the last time any of us Westerners did that, right? Um, Never. I remember signing up. I was going to go as a missionary. And, I mean, it's it's actually really difficult to go as a missionary with any kind of organization because you need to raise, I think with one organization, I need to. I needed to have, and this is 20 years ago, I needed to have something like $15,000 a month pledged. Wow. Yeah. In order mm. for me to go. And I mean, that covered, you know, future furloughs and life insurance and health insurance and housing. Like it covered all these things, but $15,000 a month. And I'm like, huh, lived overseas. It doesn't cost that much. Um, even healthcare is pretty cheap in a lot of places. And like, yeah. oh, man. So our, our so missionary the, work is contingency planned. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but even yeah. the contingency, like Christ, in you know, at the beginning of Acts, he ascends and says, all right, I'll be with you. Yeah. Go go and do it. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, where are you? Like, you know, like there, there's a huge trust that we need to embrace in order for and it's not dependent on us. Like it's dependent on God. And if we don't depend on God, then it gets ugly fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that puts us in cultural moments like we're in right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. There's, there's a, this is a fascinating time. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not in control. We're not. No, that, that on the two Sundays ago, three Sundays ago, we met, it was the last Sunday we were, we met and one person just said out loud, he's like, I've, I don't think I've ever realized how big this myth of certainty is that everything I've done is based on pretty much. And 
And no one wants to name that. No one wants to live with that gaping right in front of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, the, that's kind of what we are holding. But at the same time, um, like our feet are on the ground and this earth was made to hold us. Like, so, so we can, for me, I'm like, I, there is a point of, okay, so how do we live on this earth? Well, all together, um, because we were made to, it's supposed to work. <laughs> is it not? How do we do this? We haven't used the word dualism, but when you use the word unified, um, yeah, that yeah. is, you know, that's something we really haven't touched a lot on is this separation that the West has made of, you know, the spiritual and the physical, like this very platonic um, worldview mm-hmm. that has, you know, is used the word virus earlier. Like it, it is a virus where we, we have spiritualized things and we've just, you know, right. We, yeah. We've cut so much away from God. Well, you were just saying, Zach, let me, um, yeah, just that, that whole idea of, of dualism and uncertainty and, and so forth. Um, I think um, the, the challenge of reconciliation makes settlers uh, really anxious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's because it's profoundly uncertain. Right? Mm-hmm. We want to p- put it into a box and define it and make it easy for ourselves to understand. Um, and I think that has to do with sort of that dualistic notion that we can uh, name and identify and define and uh, make it certain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the relational spiritual journey that reconciliation is in, embo- in an embodied way is one of profound uncertainty and, and lack of clarity. Uh, it's relational, it's messy, and it's long-term. Um, mm-hmm. And... I mean, I I think the way to begin learning is is to to get into those messy relationships. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I've I've learned more about what it is uh, to be a Christ follower <laughs> from from my indigenous friends and mentors uh, than than I have in you know uh, 50 years of sitting in a church pew. I'll be mm. perfectly blunt about that. Um, I believe <laughs> because of those friendships and those relationships. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's really easy for me who, you know, one who's worked in, in, in a church system for 18 years now, those of you, I mean, you guys work in those systems too. Uh, it can be pretty brutal, right? Mm-hmm. You, you see some dark sides of, of, of the body of Christ and it's pretty easy to be cynical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the flip side, when you're, you know, sitting around a sacred fire someplace and, and you uh, hear uh, an indigenous elder offer forgiveness mm. <laughs> and offer grace in, a, in an incredibly Christ-like way, mm. then I think, you know, who am I as a privileged white guy to scoff <laughs> at the church and faith uh, when this beautiful indigenous woman can express the love of Christ in a way that I've never seen before. Right. Um, mm. Well, those kinds of encounters are why I believe today. Right. Um, and, you know, when I think about embodied Christianity, those, the testimonies and uh, Emmaus road hearts burning within us kinds of approaches, uh, realities, that's the stuff that, that changes us. Right. And brings us to, um, yeah, a community of faith that's much more uh, wholesome, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I want one last question. Is there something you do um, embodied in your own life right now that is helping you? I sometimes say like saving you. Yeah. I mean, typically in, 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 in any given life, this is hard work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, so I, I get outside um, and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I paddle, I, I ski uh, often with my son, often with my pastor, uh, which right. is just great. Mm. Um, 
Uh, I garden. Oh yeah. 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 You know, I, yeah, I, uh, years ago I was underemployed and worked in the horticulture industry and really learned a lot about plants and trees. And that's, that's been a, that's been a beautiful thing, you know, just to smell the soil and, you know, appreciate the the genius and creator and that stuff. Uh, Just I, I love, love that. Recording today has been done online as we are temporarily locked out of the Calgary Central Library and locked into our homes due to the pandemic. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. One thing we'd like to develop more of is a conversation with our listeners. Uh, If you'd like to join the conversation, find us on Instagram at the podcast made flesh no spaces or on facebook like our page and follow us get all our updates support us by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform